And one of the things uh, that I that I regularly think about uh, as a church is that we, we are doing this and we are we are trusting God in this in this work. And one of the ways that we do that, very practically speaking, is through prayer. And and if you are like me, or just about anybody else that I talk to, uh, this idea of prayer is always, oh, I, I, I would love to pray more. I, 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 I don't know that I've ever talked to anybody and they're like, my prayer life, just like I want it to be. Right? Like, that's just typically not the way that we operate, right? And, and, and often it's, we know intellectually that prayer is good and valuable, and, and there's barriers because of schedule, or we don't know what to pray or how to pray, or there, there are all kinds of things uh, that, that keep us from praying with any kind of regularity or pattern in our life. And so over these next few weeks, we just finished Hebrews last week, over these next few weeks, we're going to be in a series that is looking at the prayers of Paul. And prayer is like, we, we could spend a long time talking about prayer some great books out there. Prayer by uh, Tim Keller is a great book that gives different ways to think about prayer, different ways that people uh, approach prayer. Really encouraging book. Uh, we, as a, as a church in our community groups a number of years ago, read A Praying Life, Paul Miller, uh, that I highly recommend if you haven't read that, that talks about and focuses on the relationship that we have with our God and that prayer is a, is a way that we experience that relationship. What we're going to do over these next few weeks is we're going to get some practical picture of what prayer can look like from looking at prayers that Paul prayed. And so we're in Ephesians 3 uh, this week. Um, Todd is preaching next week on a uh, passage of prayer from Philippians 1. Uh, then Dan is preaching on the Psalms, and then uh, which are prayers. And then uh, I'll be in Ephesians 1. Bryce will be... I don't remember them all. They're all coming. They're the prayers of Paul, right? So uh, we're here in Ephesians chapter 3, and, and we have this opportunity to learn from the way in which he's praying. And there are a couple of things to note. Is one, just I'm going to jump ahead a little bit here and, and highlight verse 20, that Paul is recognizing, he's, he's essentially prayed verses 14 to 19, it's this prayer, and then, then 20 and 21 are a little bit of, Kind of a benediction, kind of a, uh, a just praising God, recognizing him for who he is. Uh, it, it is a prayer because it's worship, but it's not the prayer that he prayed for the Ephesian church in, the first, uh, in verses 14 to 19. And this is what he says. This remarkable statement as he is recognizing glory to the, him who is able to do far more abundantly than, it, than all, so in this translation, than all we ask or think. So he has just prayed this prayer, and, and this, as it gets to verse 20, this isn't a surprise to him. This was something that he knew and believed before he prayed the prayer in verses 14 to 19, that he was praying to a God who was able to answer prayer, and that he was able to do it far more, I mean, the, the, the language here is meant to draw us into the bigness of what is promised here, far more abundantly than all we ask or think. So this is a, a huge statement, that he's praying to a God who is able to answer prayers. Let's just say it that simply, but even beyond that, more than we could ask or think, and we can ask and we can think about a lot. And so he is coming to, to the Lord with this kind of attitude. 
Believing and thinking that God is actually able to answer prayer. And we jump back to verse 13. What does he say? He says, this was, if you have your Bibles, it's right there. It's not in the worship guide. But verse 13 says, so I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Paul often in his life is suffering because of the ministry that he's doing. So we recognize that Paul is in this moment suffering because of the gospel ministry that he's doing. And he is about to pray to a God that he believes and knows can answer his prayers. And what does he pray? And how can we learn from that? Because I'm just going to go ahead and tell you right now, it's not for relief from his suffering. And that, that's absolutely where I would go. That's my experience, and I'm coming to a God, and I'm suffering, coming to a God who can answer my prayers. That is where I'm going. And I I don't think it's wrong to pray those things, to be clear. But I think we're seeing a priority of prayer in what he does pray in verses 14 to 19. We're going to see that he's praying for power. It's a power that comes from God to us through love. It is a power from God, a power to us, and a power through love. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would meet us here in your amazing power and that you would work in a way that surprises us with your ability to answer prayers far more abundantly than anything we think or ask. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Learning how he prays can shape the way that we pray and therefore shape our lives. He's praying for power from God. And, and I think he's recognizing from the beginning who it is that he's praying to. Verse 14, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. There's this, this picture of this prayer is, starts with, with worship of the Father, of the, the one, he goes on to say, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. There's this picture of sovereignty as the creator that that everything finds, and every person finds their identity, their name, in who he is. That he reigns and rules over all things in such a way that he has named all human beings. That's just this picture of sovereignty. It's this, it is this analogy that we see of his power and his control in this world. And then we've already talked about in verse 20 that he is the one who is actually able to answer the prayers and not only just answer them, but even do it far more abundantly than anything we think or ask. It's an amazing statement. It goes on in verse 21 to, to picture this God as the one who is worthy of glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. There is this recognition that Paul is praying to a God who is powerful and working in this world. And he is a very specific God, too. The, the, the scriptures that he's given to us, they reveal who he is. And so understanding who God is, is is pretty central to the way in which we pray and that we need to understand that. We even have a picture here of that great mystery, the Trinity. He is the Father, verse 14. He is mentioned as the Spirit in verse 16, by whom the, the riches of his glory come through the power of the Spirit. He is the Son Christ Jesus in verses 17, 19, and 21. This is not just this general sense of there's a, there's a God, a, a general God, a general power or deity. God has revealed himself in some very specific ways. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, 
in the scripture, and this is the one to whom we pray. We actually sang this in, our, uh, in a song that, uh, I'm going to get it wrong, so I'm going to go back to it, right? Um, we raise, this is Abide in Me, we raise our voices to the Father. He hears our prayers through his sons. We are enabled by his spirit. Let your name be hallowed. Let your kingdom come. This, this idea that, that we are praying to the God who reveals himself uh, in his word. And that this God is one who is able to grant the things that we pray for. We find that in verse 16, that he's the one doing the work. And this is the beauty of the gospel, that God is the one at work in our lives. That he is, as we've talked about through Hebrews and really through all of scripture, he's the God who wants relationship with his people. He's saying, I will be your God and you will be my people. And I invite you into relationship with me and I invite you into my power and my strength. This is the one to whom we pray. I remember when I first really learned to pray in college, and I, I think that was when I, I probably had heard it before growing up in the church, but this uh, acronym that helps us go through prayer, and it's ACTS. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. And I've also seen since then, wisely, lament thrown in there. Um, because there are many prayers of lament uh, in particularly the Psalms, but Lamentations and other places, uh, recognizing that things are not always the way they're supposed to be and being honest to the Lord about that. But however you, you see these, these acronyms, I think it's most helpful when you see adoration, praise, worship first, because it orients us to who we're praying to and what we're praying about. So I would encourage you to begin prayer with recognizing who God is. Because even if you believe that and know that it's true, it will shape, even in the moment, the way that you think about prayer, the way that you approach it, the way that you decide even what to pray. Or the hope that you might find in a father who cares for his children. This is the God that we're invited to pray for. And now, to be clear, this is not saying you've got to have perfect theology, you've got to have it all figured out. But there are some pretty simple, basic truths about who God is that are, that are clear in Scripture. And this is the God to whom we are praying. I, I think that this passage, this prayer right here, gives us a great place. If you just regularly started with, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every, from whom every family in heaven on earth is named. Or you started with verse 20 and 21, talking about what he's able to do in his Glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. If you started with these things, it will shape the way in which you pray. The power that he's about to pray for comes from this God who has the power and wants to give it to his people, who wants to give it to his children. And so that we find then he is praying for that power to come to us from God. Second point to us. Look at verse 16. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. This is what he's praying for, that, that this power in our inner being would be experienced by the Lord. Now, I'm going to jump back for a second to go to verse 14. For this reason, we have to be reminded of the context, not only of his suffering, but chapters 1 to chapter 3, verse 13 what he's been doing for these three chapters is laying out the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The fact that we are weak and helpless, 
that we are, it, it says in chapter 2, described as dead in our trespasses and sins. And yet, in the grace of Jesus Christ, he has made us alive through his work. Not through anything that we do, but through his work. That's this reason that he is then praying these things. So all of this is in light of the beauty of the gospel that he meets our needs that we can't, and he does. It's, I mean, Ephesians 2 is that oft-quoted, beautiful gospel picture of it's all about grace. It's all about the grace of God in our lives. It's all about the work that he does and invites us into. And so for this reason, as this message has been revealed, it's described as a, a mystery at the beginning of chapter 3. Because it's, it's now communicated in a way that it had not been. Through Jesus Christ, this, this is a new thing for them. It's a new thing that the Gentiles are now invited into what, what Israel experienced. Uh, for many centuries. And this was always the design, but this has now been revealed in this beautiful way. And so in light of these things, he is wanting all of us to experience this power of Christ. And he is, to be clear, there's, there's some level, okay, what's going on here? He's praying for the Spirit, and he's praying for Christ to be in our hearts, and he's praying for the comprehension and grasping of love. Don't, he's talking to Christians. Don't, don't we all experience that as Christians? And he makes that really clear. Yes, that happens in other places, but he's praying for something deeper here, a deeper experience of that beauty and that love and that power of God. It is this prayer that is for the church. It is for the people of God. And yet he's, he's praying for more experience of it, more, uh, more transformation. We could, we could talk about this partly as a description of what we theologically call sanctification, what the Bible calls sanctification, being made more and more like Jesus, being able to put away sin and brokenness more and more, to be able to live as he created us to live, as the one who is in control of all things, who created us, he knows how we should live, and he's inviting us into that more and more and more. So this idea of him dwelling in our hearts through faith, verse 17 it's this picture of him shaping us and changing us as he dwells with us. We experience this, I mean, you could think about it either as the fact that we live in our house now for just over 10 years. Longest we've lived in any house married. And the reality is now, as opposed to 10 years ago, we've made it more and more our own. We didn't do it all at once. It's a... 146 years old, so there were a lot of things that need to be done, right? And there's still a lot of things that need to be done. But uh, over those 10 years, we've been able to, just a little bit at a time, make it more and more. It's, it's been transformed over time. You could also say and note that uh, our kids, who are now, man, they're old, uh, two in college and one about to be a senior in high school, and uh, just they are more and more like their own people, right? But they are, they are shaped by dwelling with us for good and bad over their lifetime, right? They, they over that time have been shaped in the way that we are shaped continually by Christ who dwells in our hearts. That's what is being offered here. And it's being offered this power to experience this is being offered in your inner being, verse 16. This idea of, of inner being is, is a scriptural idea that 
that coincides with heart, of Christ dwelling in our heart. And heart, we think of heart and we think of emotions. The heart is, our, is the seat of our emotions. But that is not at all the biblical picture of what a heart is. The heart is the very foundation of who you are, and it drives everything. Heart, uh, I mean, emotions, what we think of as heart, it, it drives your, your will, your knowledge. It, it, is the, it is your very identity. At, at its most fundamental uh, place, it is who you are. It is the thing that drives you. It is why you make the decisions that you make and do the things that you do. And the promise here is that God meets us there. And, and that can actually be a little bit of a scary thought that that, that would be messed with. That uh, who we are in our depth. That, that we don't even fully understand ourselves, much less those around us. We are, uh, often feel ashamed to reveal that to other people. And yet what we're invited into is in the very depth of who we are to allow Christ to dwell there and shape it and change it. To shape and change us in the very foundation of who we are. And, and, and that is actually this, this promise and this power is, again, it's all for our good. This is a beautiful promise and hope that Paul has that he would pray for these things, that the Holy Spirit would allow this to happen. And, and I, I do think there is something here. We're going to get to even the word know and knowledge in a moment. But there's something experiential here that we are invited into. We, we are a, a heady denomination, a heady church. Often it's the, just the things that we know. And there are often churches that are like, okay, it's all about what you know. And there are churches that know it's all about what you experience. And the Bible is very clear. It is all of that together. It is absolutely all of it together. We are invited to know particular things and to have truth revealed to us from his word, but we are invited to this mystical experience of who God is and the depth of who we are. We're invited into that. And, and I, I recognize that there are times when we, we are not feeling that. We don't feel like we are experiencing him. And, and there are all kinds of reasons for that. There are all kinds of things that happen in our lives that we, we don't feel that, uh, and, and yet what we're invited into is to pursue it and to trust him for it. Not just intellectual ascent. It's not just in, invited into intellectually know these things. It's actually invited into experience these things, and there's absolutely some mystery here in the spiritual that we're invited to experience. But there's a beautiful hope here, and we see that all of this comes through love. So this, this last prayer that he prays, this last request, this thing that he prays for is in verse 18, that they may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ. So again, a lot of modifying phrases here. It's to know the love of Christ. It's not to know uh, your doctrine. Though I do think that can be really important, but it is ultimately and foundationally to know his love for us. And that's an important point too. It's not that we would know how to love him more or even how to love one another more, though those things flow from it. It's most foundationally that we would grasp his love for us. That is just a, a beautiful picture that Paul is praying that they would know that they are loved deeply by this Trinitarian God who reigns and rules over all things, what is he praying for? That they would know that he loves them, that we would know 
that he loves us in our inner being, in the foundation of who we are, even as he shapes us and changes us. And then this picture of the, the, the love described as the, the breadth and width, the, the breadth and length and depth and height of that love. I mean, it's just this picture of the, the breadth and width, maybe the, the way that it functions and the way we love one another. But the height, the way that we are connected to our God, who, who loves us so deeply. The depth gives us a picture of that he meets us in our depths and loves us there. And, and this is a mystery, this invitation to, to know this love. And I do think this idea of knowing scripturally is not just, again, intellectual assent. And, and we see that actually throughout scripture, that know is uh, God knowing his people is about him being in relationship with them. And this is actually from the very beginning. Adam knew Eve. That's not talking about he met her, right? That's the physical connection. That's something deep uh, and, and even mysterious that happens uh, it, in a marriage between a man and a woman, that this is what knowing, this theme goes on to describe what we're invited into is something more than intellectual assent. To, to know someone, to have a relationship where there is something beyond just this intellectual assent. So, again, we don't always experience this, right? We don't always experience uh, his presence in our lives. Sometimes we go through really hard things. So we're, we're invited into those kinds of prayers that we're not looking at now, of lament uh, and of crying out to him. And, and you would think that Paul might be praying those now. And he probably is alongside this prayer. He's probably in the midst of his suffering also lamenting. And yet this seems to be foundational uh, to what he is pursuing to know and experience the love of God in his life, that the people of God would know and experience his love in their lives. And that this is ultimately the fullness of God, verse 19. We think about it again, okay, what would you pray if you knew that this was what was on offer? Would you pray just for being able to understand God's love more? That's not where my heart typically goes. I'm thinking about either freedom from discomfort, from suffering, or maybe for success or position or reputation or money or relationships or uh, even like good and spiritual right things, right? Like as a pastor that, that uh, praying particular things for the church, or that, that's, those are the things where my heart or my mind goes first, right? But here we're seeing this more foundational thing that we would pray for the power of God to be manifested in our lives that we would experience in, the, in these deep ways to know that we are fully loved by him and that nothing can separate us from that love. Romans 8, verse 35 and following, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. This is this amazing promise. And so there is an invitation then to actually pursue this. And, and, and to be clear that there, there is an invitation to, to take steps in that direction. This can be a guide for us that we can learn from and allow it to shape us. Now, it is all founded in the fact that he does the work. And yet, because he does the work, it, it shapes us dramatically. So that as we pursue, that he meets us in the midst of our uh, pursuing him. I mean, one of the things that we see, and, and I think as I think about prayer, I almost always, and I, I'm, I'm the, the one who regularly says, it's not about you and Jesus. 
It's about the church, right? But I think about prayer and I think, okay, my personal prayer life. And that's appropriate. But he's talking to the church. All the yous here are plural. He's talking to the way that the church experiences him. We, we do this, yes, as individuals. And let me encourage you to, to experience and pursue that. But uh, we do it with one another. With the saints, verse 18. This is something, and the saints, that's just, that's followers of Jesus. There's, there's no level of, of Christian here. It's not like the saints are the great people. No, the saints are just, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're described as a saint in scripture. So we do this with the saints. And then this remarkable, just, you know, right here, this word in, in 21, he's giving glory to God. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. Wait, to him be glory in the church. That's not where our mind, that's not how we would fill in the blank if we were to say that. His glory is experienced in the church with his people. We need one another. Again, there is no place in scripture, just me and Jesus, just me and God. No, it is something that we absolutely experience in the people of God. We're invited into that so that we might fully experience his love and the fact that he fully loves us every single one of us all saints we're all on that same level we, we tend to think okay maybe god loves me because he has to right he he loves me but he doesn't really like me i mean we we think that a lot and yet the picture is he delights in us and he has joy in us and there's not this level of acceptance or love that he has for us. There can be levels in which we experience that, but there's not levels. The grasping, the knowledge is that it is true and deep for every one of us. So sometimes we think about it as being on the plane. What do I mean by that? So if we're on the plane, we're on the plane and God loves us all, but we get on a plane and I have never sat, I've sat, I've had sat in some rows where you have extra leg room but I've never sat in first class or business class or even the you know, premium economy, all these. You get on the plane, and it, it, sometimes you can see maybe down that way there's first class, and you might walk through business class. And like, oh, man. And you want, but you're in the back, right? You're basic economy. And we think of our, we, we, we think of our Christian life like this. Oh, yeah, they're those, those really, the, the business class Christians. Not business, but you know, the ones who are first class. The really spiritual people. Um, and then I'm in basic economy. And we think that God loves us according to these different places where, where we are, right? No, no, no. That is not the picture of Scripture. The, the picture is that we are all in the same boat together. I mean, we're all first class. We're all, it doesn't really matter, right? Like, he loves us deeply, every single one of us, and he invites us into that kind of relationship. And, and then there is this invitation to pursue that through these things that he's given us, what we call theologically the means of grace, through his word and through prayer and through the sacraments, through the fact that we gather together as the people of God on Sundays to experience him together, that we have, you know, we're doing Bible studies on, on Sunday nights and prayer at, uh, on Sunday mornings. I mean, beautiful opportunity to, to develop and grow in these things. That We do community groups to connect with one another around God's word together. There, there are all kinds of ways in which we experience this together and we're invited into. And, and there is this incredible 
hopeful promise that Paul prays these things because God is able to answer them. So that give us incredible hope to shape the way in which we pray. Yes, as individuals, but also as a people. That we would trust that he would do amazing things. That we would ultimately understand his love for us and for one another. Let's pray.